0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: We're in um, Parshat Nitzavim. This week we're in uh, Deuteronomy 29. Um, This is an incredibly powerful Torah portion. Uh, so much so that Reconstructionist Jews and Reform Jews both use this as the text for the High Holidays. Um, so we swap out um, a Torah portion and use Nitzavim um, because because it really is for us uh, an, an incredibly powerful piece of uh, of literature. Um, it is a ritual that was done. Um, we believe actually done, which was a recovenanting ceremony. We believe this actually happened. We're not sure where, we're not sure when, we're not sure all the details of it, but we have reason to believe it's, it was an actual ceremony that was done. But of course this one is put in the mouth of Moshe. This, this, the Deuteronomist is imagining Moshe explaining this to the people he's done with his whole speech. And now he's telling them that when they cross over, they are to um, affect this, covenanting ceremony and part of this text is written post exile we believe um we and we're going to read it together um the beginning of chapter 30 most scholars believe gets inserted into nitzavim into this parsha um once the exile happens and it's one of the reasons it's such a powerful text for us so a the covenanting ceremony with all of the people all the people israel um part of this covenant agreement, ratifying the covenant again, and and the other piece being the exile piece with a promise of return. And that word to return, shuv, the turn, literally turn, um, is of course the root of teshuvah repentance, which is not a word I love. To, you know, English has a really hard time, like, Meeting up with the power often of the Hebrew, and for me, that this is one of those places where, uh, okay, yeah, it's technically right, <laughs> but but you've got this word shuv in there, so it's it's really more about turning and returning for our tradition, and for me, that's a theological statement that's really important. The, that theologically we say, or philosophically we say, when we wipe the slate clean, we're returning. So that rather than orienting towards original sin and saying human beings are by nature sinful, we came into this world sinful, that's always going to be the case, and we need some relationship to the divine to to save us from that. I like that our tradition says kind of the opposite, right? When we atone for the ways we've done wrong and we make amends and then we go to God to kind of figure out how to how to really allow ourselves to be forgiven. um, That's a return to where, to, to who we really are. Um, And the rabbis, you know, you know, you've learned with me, the rabbis don't deny that we do terrible things and that we are, we every day wake up and think terrible things, (laughs) right? It's not that they deny that, but they also want to say, you know, that those are distractions. Those are things that pull us off from our true orientation which if we return to an orientation um, towards letting the soul, our neshama, if you will, I mean, that's later, it's not biblical, but you know, it's later. If we, if we can return to letting the, our spirit, our connection with the divine, that point within us that is divine, then it's a return to like how we're designed, if you will. So, so for me, that, and for many people, not just for me, for both Reformed Jews, Reconstructionist Jews who read this at the high holidays, that language is so hopeful. It's why it was written for the Israelites in exile. What are you going to do once you've lost sovereignty and you're exiled and living under foreign nations and, there, and imperial powers? What, what? I mean, you need language of, of serious hope. and and transformation. And that's what, and that's what this is. And it remains so for us. For us, it's not about exile. Obviously we choose to live in the United States. We have the choice to go to Israel. We don't, sorry, Barry. Um, but we, um, we, you know, it's, it's about a different kind of return and a different kind of exile, a different kind of distancing, um, if you will. So here we are, I'm, I'm going to read the beginning of Parshad Nitzavim. Uh, and then we're going to jump to chapter 30. By the way, you know, I read on the triennial portion. I am not violating my own <laughs> commitment to those rules. Uh, we read the entire Parsha. And when we're not reading it as a double portion with Vayelich, we read the entire portion. So we're going to cover this material every time we look at this Parsha. So I I get to kind of jump wherever I want <laughs> in something. All right. So here we go. Um, the, the Parsha begins. Atem nitzavim hayom kuchem adonai shiftechem ziknechem meshotrechem, kol ish so we're very clear about who's here, right? Atem, you This is different from the word omade to stand. This is about presenting oneself. This is the word used for monuments. When you erect a monument, it doesn't stand there. It's nitzav, right? So it's it's a it's a much stronger active word. So y'all are all here presenting yourselves, Hayom, this day, Kulchem, all y'all. So this is very clear. It could have just said Matem, y'all. When it says Kulchem, it means all y'all, which as Hebrew understands is not redundant. Lifnei Adonai before Adonai your God, we've seen this language before, um, standing before God, um, your and then we get like laid out who does that mean roshechem right so you're the heads of your tribes um your your elders your officials kol ish israel every person of israel and unless it's not clear cuz sometimes it's not ish is technically man so this could be as many things are it could be addressed to each israelite male but look at verse 10 So text is going to be very clear here. Your children, your wives, even the stranger within your camp, from the cutters of your trees, to the drawers of your water. Everybody is here. For what purpose? Here we go. Verse 11 to enter into the covenant of YHWH your God, which YHWH your God is concluding with you that day with its sanctions. Of course, the Hebrew word is kolret to cut, to cut a covenant. So that God is cutting with you today with its sanctions. Okay, so we are very clear that every single member of the people Israel is here. Some people want to say, this is, this is a moving thing in itself. Moses knows this is the last time the people will be together like this. The very last time, once they get into the land, once they spread out and go to their ancestral, you know, tribes, the only time they're going to get together is when there's a pilgrimage festival in Jerusalem. Well, what if someone's too sick to travel? What if someone's just given birth? They're not going to travel, right? So This is the last time every single member of the people Israel will be together. So we have the moment of Sinai, and now we have this moment of re-covenanting that's happening right before they cross into the promised land. Kids, everybody, and even people who you don't want to maybe necessarily consider as people who have the authority to influence or impact the covenant, people who are your garbage collectors, your sanitary engineers, right? That's what Torah means here from woodchoppers to water drawers. These were the lowliest jobs there were. And from two suggests a range, right? So that there's other jobs in here as well. So people who clean your toilets, Fill in the blank for what that is for us today. People we tend to just walk by, who, right? Who many people consider somehow less than because of the jobs they do. So things haven't changed. Human nature doesn't change all that much, unfortunately. So, um, so Torah understands that, and it's still the case today that like less you should think because they're young, because they're female. Because they're strangers, meaning they're not Israelite, because they are low on you know the status, as low as you can get, lest you think they matter any less, Torah lays it out here. Every single member of the people of Israel is involved in cutting this covenant with the divine. All right. The rabbis are gonna have a field day with this word, Hayom, of course right? This day, God is cutting this covenant with you this day. For the rabbis, what day is that? The High holidays, for sure. Hayom, today. <laughs> today, exactly. This day means today, 2021, today. And they take this very seriously, which I love. I love that, that they're ready to think, right? That That this means I I cut this covenant with all y'all today, and to read that at the chagim, at the holidays, is just that's a really powerful thing that liberal Jews chose to do. I think it's a really powerful, you know, liturgical move to read this on our high holidays. All y'all are standing here today, and all y'all present yourselves today to recommit to the deal. And then we know a lot about what that deal is because we just studied it, (laughs) right? Right. To what end are we cutting this covenant? To the end that God may establish you this day as God's people and be your God as God promised you and as God swore to your ancestors, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. I make this covenant with its sanctions, not with you alone. Here comes the next really beautiful move of the text. Ki et asher yeshnopo, but also with those who aren't here. Yesh no po, that are not po, that are not here. Imanu, Omeid Hayom, standing with us today. Lifnei Adonai Loheinu before Adonai our God. Ve et asher enenu po, Imanu Hayom, and those that are not here with us today. All right. If somebody's, it can't be that somebody's absent, like they had a fever, How do we know that? Because it said kol ish Yisrael, every every person of Israel is here right now. So it can't mean somebody who got left, you know, at home because they they were sick. It can't mean that. So if it doesn't mean that, that nobody's absent, what's the only thing it can mean? But the rabbis are very clear with for them what it means. And I believe it's not even a stretch. I believe it's probably what the original text means. Meaning you you are binding future generations to this covenant. So I didn't choose to be an American citizen. My parents, as soon as I was my parents' child here in the U.S., right? I'm a U.S. citizen. I don't get a choice about that. I got born here. I am obligated to the rules and the laws governing what it means to be an American citizen, whether I like that or not. Whether I choose that or not, I can abrogate that agreement. I can go against that agreement and suffer the consequences, but I don't get to choose whether or not I'm bound by that agreement. That is what is here. That's what's here. All people of the people Israel now and into the future that aren't here today are bound by this agreement. The rabbis take it one step further, which, you know, you all know my history. You all know that I was converted as an infant, adopted by a Jewish family. So um, for me, this was always really, really important that the rabbis said anyone who would ever be Jewish is bound by this covenant. That that's who Torah means, not just who's going to be born Jewish. Anybody who would ever become a member of the people Israel was at Sinai. And is at this moment of recovenanting, a really powerful statement by the rabbis, um, by our tradition um, that that is all inclusive. Well, you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt and that we passed through the midst of other nations and you have seen she uh, It's again, English is really clunky here. Detestable things and fetishes. This is ineffectual stuff. That's weird stuff that they do um, of wood and stone, silver and gold that they keep. This is, of course, referring to idolatry um, that just makes no sense. If you know Yudhe Vavhe, and that that's the force that works in the world to to do thi- everything, then then why would you right, have these fetishes? It makes no sense. It just seems kind of silly. All right. And so then it's it goes to don't stand here thinking y'all can hide you know, thinking you've got your fingers crossed behind your back as you make this right agreement. So that's, that's where the text goes next, but we're going to go to chapter 30. And so for those of you who you don't even have to know Hebrew, look, look, see the shin, see the vet of Vahashe So the shin and the vet is about shuv, shav, return, turning, So every time you see this shin and vet in the middle of any of these words, you'll see how many times it appears in the text. Um, This, again, we believe is post-exilic. I don't say that to try to chop up the text. I say it because because it's it's powerful in that a people who has experienced the absolute worst, distancing from their own homeland, their own sovereignty. That's what these words are addressing. And those of us who feel alienated coming up on the high holidays, that's who's being addressed here. Those of us who feel completely alienated from ourselves, from our values, from our commitments, from our community, what, what fill in the blank. Um, and that's why it's so powerful for me that this is a post-exilic text, right? That's something addressed to exiles, because that's how many of us feel. At this time of year, really distanced from lots. Lots. All right. And when all of these things, all these things befall you, bracha vaklala, the blessing and the curse that I have set before you, and you take them to heart amidst the various nations to which Adonai, your God, has banished you. Here we go again with Vishavta. And you return. To your God, you and your children, and heed God's command. And this is the language of the Deuteronomist that we know so well. Right, with all your heart, with all your soul, just as I enjoin upon you this day, shav, and you return. Oh no, sorry. Then God will return your fortunes. Richamcha, and will and will feel rahmanis for you. God will rachem on you. God will feel what one feels for the issue of one's womb for you. There is no word for that in English. They'll call it mercy, right? Um, but it's not. It's not a great word. Compassion, mercy. It's what you feel for the issue of your womb or anything placed in your care. When you get handed a puppy, what you feel for that puppy it is about this word right it's it, it's there's no sanity involved in it right you would do anything right um to protect this thing that's going to poop on your carpet that makes no sense it's not supposed to right it's about something else going on and that's what torah says god feels for us bishav again and you return right this is all about return and you'll be returned from all of the places right? That God has scattered you. Even if your outcasts are at the end of the world, from there, your God will gather you. From there will God fetch you. So God will bring you to the land that your ancestors possessed and you shall possess it. And God will make you more prosperous and more numerous than your ancestors. All right, you have to love what the translation does with this. Umal Adonai Elohecha et levavcha. The God will open up your heart. Okay, what is what is mal, Barry? That's a, a circumcision. Mm-hmm. Circumcised heart. God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring to love. Yudhei Vavhei, your God, with all your heart, with all your being, in order that you may live. This beautiful line of Torah. Um, and, and we have to ask the question, right? Like, God's going to circumcise our heart. Remember, somewhere else we had that, you know, that we must remove the foreskin, right, of the heart. So here, God is doing the circumcising um, directly onto the heart. Directly on Levavcha, on your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that we can love. Something seems to have to be cut away for us to love with all of our heart and all of our nephesh. Soul doesn't really work here because in the Bible, there is no such thing as a separation between body and soul. It's really more about your full self. Nefesh is a, is a self. So with all of your heart, with all yourself, it seems to de the Deuteronomy is suggesting here, something has to happen in order for us to really do that. And God has to help us. And God helps us by cutting away a thickness. What is circumcision? Right. It's cutting away something that stops right, the head of the penis from, from always appearing. Only when it's erect, if you if you're dealing with an uncircumcised penis, so so it 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 creates the reality that 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 our heart can love fully, and it can only do that when something has been cut away. So I don't love the comparison to circumcision. I'll admit it, but I but I do love this idea because I think it's true that, that we have a tough, there's something tough over our hearts, right? And this idea that God can cut that away for me, it, it's more like God as, as cardio thoracic surgeon, right? That God, that God can crack our chest and get in there and cut away the hard, the hard stuff that's covered over our hearts can cut that away then when we heal we can love the heart can then love and our ho- our whole self can love differently all right so so this is this is the beautiful uh, text that we read together um god will open your hearts and the hearts of your offspring as we just read um, of course in the biblical world that's going to mean that your enemies are going to get what's coming to them you will heed vav Vavhe and obey God's commandments that I enjoin you today, and God will grant you abounding prosperity in all your undertakings, the issue of your womb, the offspring of your cattle, the produce of your soil. For vav Vavhe will again delight in your well-being, as God did of as of that of your ancestors. Since you will be listening to the voice of Yudhe your God, and keeping God's commandments and laws that are recording, that are recorded in this Sefer Torah, meaning the book of Deuteronomy. Once you return, here we go. Once you return to God with all your heart and all yourself, because this commandment, this Deuteronomy business which I enjoin upon you this day is not too baffling for you, nor is it beyond reach. Lo, The rabbis have a field day with this. You've heard me teach about it before. Not in heaven is it that you should say, who among us can go up to the heavens and get it for us and impart it to us that we may observe it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who among us can cross to the other side of the sea and get it for us and impart it to us that we may observe it. Ki karov ha'davar me'od. For the thing is very close to you. The word is very close to you. In your mouth. And in your heart. To do it. See. Natati hayom Look. See. Understand. I place before you. This day today life and good and death and evil I command you Hayom this day to love Vafei, your God to walk in God's ways to keep God's commandments and laws that you may thrive and increase and that Vafei, your God may bless you in the land that you are about to enter and possess But if you turn away and get worship to the lure lure and service of other gods, I declare you shall certainly perish. You shall not long endure on the soil that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. We know this from ancient Near Eastern texts and other places. I call heaven and earth to witness this day. I have put before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life that you and your offspring. Would live. All right. So, this is powerful imagery, powerful liturgy, if you will. This idea that we have the capacity and the ability to turn. But also, what really struck me in reading it this year, and it didn't even strike me last year, I don't know why, but what struck me this year is is we're about to gather on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur separately. We won't be in the same space. We won't be together physically. And yet we're reading this text. And what does this text say? I cut this covenant. All y'all are here today, including those who aren't here. And it struck me for the first time that we have always understood that we're together, even if we're not. For 2,000 years, we've been saying, all y'all are here. Those of you here, and those of you who aren't here, are here, (laughs) right? We we have been invoking people who aren't there forever as the Jewish people. This is not something new. We see it as new because we have virtual this and virtual that. Well, we've always understood as a people that we are trans-historical. We are trans-geographical. We we are beyond the bounds of geography and we are beyond the bounds of time. We are a trans-historical people. That has always resonated deeply with me, that we stand with the generations before us and those who come after us. They are implicated in what we decide. They are implicated in how we live, what we choose as a community to teach, to be about, to model, to build, to destroy, to forget. They will be implicated by our choices. That's always been very powerful to me. But this year, it was powerful in another way, too, that it's beyond geography. All of us will be standing together on Rosh Hashanah. In different places, yes, but we all stand together, and we've known that since the time of the writing of Torah and the telling of these stories that predate Torah. All right, I want to share the way um, our this amazing teacher, uh, Rabbi Rachel Shabbat BeHalachmi, talks about it. Um, Just check in the comments here. Anybody want to say anything before we move on? Uh, Yes. Uh, Hi, it's Bert. Um,
0: You stopped reading at Choose Life, as most people do, but I am fascinated by the rest of that sentence because it explains what it means by Choose Life. And I think it gets to, for many people, for me certainly, what the meaning of life is. So I'll read it. It says, Choose Life, if you and your offspring would live, Choose Life by loving the Lord your God, Heeding his commands and holding fast to him. So to me, it doesn't mean choose life just to live no matter what. It's a way of life that it's asking you to choose. Sure. For, yeah. me, for me, that was really the important thing about. Well,
1: right. So it's it's reiterating what we read three, four, right, five right. times, right? Like that it's no, really about loving God with all your heart and all yourself, following God's ways, following God's commandments, 100 percent. Right. And, it, it, and choosing life as well. Yes. Over and over. We're told this is what this is what that means. Right. Exactly. Bert. Like we don't just choose, um, you know, life, just life. But we do. We do, too. Like the rabbis push it pretty far. Right? Um, all right. Somebody else angry at the harmful co-opting of the sentiment. Choose life. Yeah. So Emma Linda's pointing out um, how that language of choosing life gets used against women, as we just saw with the devastating, devastating decision of the Supreme Court. Um, yes, people with uteruses. Thank you, Melinda. Yes, like that. It's used against women. Choose life means, you know, a, over and above her life. You know, you choose a potential life. Um, and this is not the meaning in Torah. By the way, by the way, in Torah, if a woman's life is endangered, you are commanded to remove the fetus limb by limb. It cannot be more clearly stated than that. Her life. 100% comes before a potential life. We are to respect the potentiality of life. Of course, a woman who's already here, her life supersedes uh, that of a fetus. And as we know, if a woman is fighting and she's pregnant and someone hits her and she miscarries, the damages that are paid to the husband are the same as if she'd been wounded in the thigh. I don't want to get into like, how terrible that sounds. But the point being, in that case of jurisprudence, the fetus is considered a part of her body. It is not murder. So the person who causes the miscarriage is not charged with murder. It's an injury to her body. So Torah cannot be clearer about this. So, yeah, people take that and twist it in all kinds of ways. Judith, you have your hand up and then Margo. I understood that in jewish tradition life does not begin until the fetus is separated from the mother or other in other words born so it's an appendage of the mother and life does not begin at conception it's it's very complicated like and and it's you know it's really not a road i want to go down but but okay. until crowning until crowning. So until right. right, the baby's in the process of being born. Of being born. Right. It's a fetus and it's it's not its own being until, right, the crown of the head comes out of the... So this is really a matter of religion inserting itself into U.S. law. Has nothing to do with... Well, and it's not even our religion. Right. That's I mean, right. What Emma Linda was saying is, she, you know, she, hearing it in context, what it means to choose life. Hearing it in the context of the, here's what that means, like Bert pointed out, here's what that actually means to have that taken out of context and used as as a religious influence on the courts that comes from our religious tradition is not true. <laughs> right. Right. Roberto?
0: If I'm not mistaken, this line from the uh, talk from Deuteronomy appears in our prayer book. Um, And if also, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know whether to uh, just um, believe everything I think or what. But it's always been troubling to me that choose life and it will be good and choose the other side and it won't be. So that... um, I, I guess this Torah portion that we just read goes on to talk about that um and i I don't know it's just
1: always been a troublesome thing to read like you know, so are you are you talking about the, are you talking about the the theology that says if we do good, that good yes. things will happen to us, and if we don't, terrible right. things happen okay. to right. us so so we've talked about that a lot right we've talked a lot about a fundamentalist approach to understanding right these words it is very troubling we're not fundamentalists <laughs> so the good news is we get to interpret these words right so that if choosing the good means clinging to godliness and the things the laws that that would demand of us the obligations that that would mean for what we should do and what we shouldn't do I can say with full liberal Jewish faith, I believe that's true. Good things will happen to us, to some extent, if we put in laws that protect rivers from being poisoned by factory dumping poisonous chemicals in them, right? If we reduce carbon emissions, because that's the godly thing to do, then, then our environment will be safer and healthier, right? That, that There's just... There's cause and effect. There's action and consequence. I do believe that. I mean, science tells us that, right? Um, If we continue to consume the way we're consuming, which is not about godliness, right? Just because we want something new. We want a new one. Planned obsolescence, all that stuff. We're going to kill the planet and ourselves. So that's, that's how I can live with these words in a way that feels really true, for our time and for me and for us as a human society where, where it stops being true is that if y'all do that, everything will be okay. <laughs> right? Like, cause there's still going to be tragedy. There's still going to be kids who fall off something and die. There's still going to be people dying of horrible things that they shouldn't die of. They're still going to right So, so it doesn't mean everything's going to be okay, but but to but there are some things we can control there are other things we can't because it's just built into the nature of what it means to be human that there's going to be tragedy there's going to be suffering there's going to be loss that makes no sense that's they're not mutually exclusive for us but for me right and for us as a community we can say yes we need to live in line with godliness and figure out what what the laws are for our time that that's going to mean that we need to follow the rules and regulations and 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 boundaries that we need to set, behaviors that we're gonna say we should do and behaviors we shouldn't do. But but that doesn't explain everything. That's not gonna impact everything that happens to us. Does that make sense, Margot? Yes, yeah, so you can't you shouldn't look at it too literally. Correct. Correct. Some some parts are pretty literal. <laughs> right. If we continue I have to do some time. we continue to put fossil fuels into the environment. We're going to kill the planet and right. ourselves like that. That's pretty literal and pretty fundamentalist. Right. But, but but there's but there's a place that stops and we can't read it literally. We have to read it metaphorically. We, you know, right. Reaching into godliness is what helps us survive okay. tragedies that we can't control. OK, uh, Mark.
0: I want to go back to the uh, what Bert was saying. So this this reading this morning is all about what God is asking us to do, and the rest is what we talked about. But this is paired up with Elo, with Rosh Hashanah, and specifically with Psalm twenty-seven. And I think what we're asking, Akasha Alti, one thing I ask is that I may dwell in your house all the days of my life, knowing the beauty, the beauty of the world in which we live. So it's not all about just God saying do X, Y, and Z. It's saying, cool, God, but I want to hang around with you. I want to appreciate the beauty of, of life. Choose life and enjoy it. So Lovely. Guys,
1: And I want to flip what you started with, which is God, this is what God's instructing us, right? Um, I believe, as a liberal Jew, that we wrote these texts, right? So, yes, we put it in the mouth of Moses speaking for God. We wrote these texts. The Jewish people wrote a text saying, how is it going to go well for us? What does choosing life look like? People. It means... (laughs) Coming up with an understanding about what it is we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do if we're living into holiness and godliness and a relationship with the divine we we know that we wrote that we obligate ourselves to that does that make like for me that's a that's a powerful flip is that when I read God saying and you shall love me with all your heart it's us
0: mm-hmm.
1: saying we get it to really live life we have to love goodness holiness right that which is bigger than us we have to long for some kind of relationship to that
0: yes 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 and yes
1: (laughs) all right um anybody else before we move on okay so let's look at um um this this version was in the huffington post communal return and personal um renaissance what forgiveness makes possible um, Rabbi Rachel Sabat uh, I just want to lift up this stuff I was talking about earlier that she um, says about a trans-historical people I love this so not just with you alone am I establishing this covenant but with all who are here today and all who are not here today the past, present and future are conflated to create a moment that encompasses all of existence if we truly show up For such a moment, in these precious days, meaning the days of awe, meaning, you know, the high holidays, will we be ready for it to change us, too? Our covenant with the God of the past, present, and future is renewed in the most radical trans-historical context of communal return. God isn't only interested in each of us as individuals in all our preciousness, but is clearly as invested in us as a collective. Despite all of our individualism and autonomy, we don't stand before God only as our single selves, but also as part of a larger, radically trans-historical Jewish people. And everybody from Orthodox thinkers to liberal thinkers have taught of this dual sanctity and double bond with God, both individually and collectively as foundations of the covenant. These are the moments that give us a deeper sense of what it means to be committed to something beyond ourselves, beyond our individual needs, and beyond time. If we are open to and able to do this multi-directional turning, we can live more gently and at the same time with more purpose. We can move into the new year grateful for all the sacred relationships in our lives and ready to move clearly toward a more perfect vision of ourselves, our communities, and our world. Amen. Can I hear an amen? Right? That's kind of Mark and Bert to your points. That's the point, right? Like all of this is to this end, that we can move into the new year, grateful for all the sacred relationships in our lives, ready to move clearly toward a more perfect version of ourselves, our communities, and our world. That's the point which is why it's such a beautiful tie into the holidays. Okay. I told you I'm learning technology for y'all. Um, doesn't mean I'm great at it. So here is my attempt at a scan of, uh, of uh, stuff from Alan Liu. Um, this is from his book entitled, This is Real and You Are Completely Unprepared. Um, and it is his book about uh, the High Holidays. He comes from a kind of Jewish-Buddhist perspective, um, and so I love I love this uh, this quote from his book: "The first thing we do during the High Holidays is come together. We stand together before God as a single spiritual unit." So this idea of nitzav. Atemnitzavim kuchem hayom, all y'all stand here today as a single spiritual unit. We do this out of a very deep instinct. And then he, he has this sentence that I'm going to skip. We need each other now. We need each other now. We need each other deeply. Here in the full flush of the reality of the life and death nature of this ritual, Here in the flush of our impotence as individuals to meet this most urgent emergency, our need for each other is immense. We heal one another by being together. We give each other hope. Now we know for sure by ourselves, Ain Banu Ma'asim, right? We sing this at the end of Avinu Malkeinu. there's nothing we can do. But gathered together as a single, indivisible entity, We sense that we do, in fact, have efficacy as a larger, transcendent spiritual unit, one that has been expressing meaning and continuity for 3,000 years, one that includes everyone who was here and everyone who is not here. To echo the phrase we always read in the Torah, the week before the high holidays begin, all those who came before us and all those who are yet to come, All those who are joined in that great stream of spiritual consciousness from which we have been struggling to know God for thousands of years, we now stand in that stream. And that is the first thing we do. Beautiful, right? Commentary by Alan Liu on what that means, that that's the first thing we do on the high holidays is stand in that stream and connect to the understanding that we need each other. Even if we don't know each other, we need each other. And we need to know we're connected to something that comes after us, because that's the only way we're going to do the right thing. <laughs> really, the hard stuff is if we have each other. And if we feel a connection and obligation back to the people who sacrificed so much for us to be here standing on their shoulders, as well as forward, our responsibility for what we're handing over to the next generations. Um, and. Um so standing in that stream and standing together that we need each other. And, and we're it's hard for us as Americans. It's so counter to American culture to say we need anybody, right? I can do it on my own. All this pride about I don't need anybody. I'm strong. I'm capable. I can do it on my own. It's not Jewish. It's really not Jewish. <laughs> and so the American and Jew, right, in us sometimes collide. And that's okay that's good because that tension is a really productive tension said Mordechai Kaplan, the founder of our movement. That's a really productive tension. Um, this is the time of year where we let the Jew come out <laughs> and play like, and say freely with no shame, with great pride, actually, we need each other. And um, those of us who have been learning together over this year and a half, It's never been more clear to me how much we need each other. It's never been more clear because I don't know what I would have done without y'all. I don't know what I would have done.
0: You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.